it's a great pleasure to, uh, to welcome back Professor Tigesen to, to Bruegel. Good afternoon, everyone. This is the second time that uh, Professor Tigesen is back to talk about the fiscal board and the work that they are, uh, they are doing. The topic of this year's presentation is a little bit different, but in fact it is uh, continuing the discussion on, on the fiscal rules in the, um, in the, in the EU. Um, welcome back, Niels. Thanks for coming. It's always a pleasure to host you, and we're looking very much forward to, uh, to, to uh, this year's results. Uh, we have, a, so as you see, a round table here, so we would really encourage you to, uh, to participate in a conversation that we're having with, uh, with Niels. Um, we'll take about 20 minutes for the uh, for presentation. I believe that's, uh, that's what you need. And then we're going to kick at the discussion. I think Guntram will say a few things to begin with, and then we please feel free to participate in and ask as many questions while we have Niels in our presence. Um, we have till half past one, so 20 minutes, and then we open up the floor for discussion, if that's okay with you. Um, there are some slides. If you can please put them up, um, and then you need to point over there. Okay. So, Niels, the floor is yours. Thank you very much, uh, Maria, and uh, Guntram for the invitation. Uh, as you hinted, I already had the honor of coming here last November with my colleague uh, Mateusz Szurek of Poland uh, from the EFB to present our annual report for last year. Uh, that report did deal with a somewhat different topic from what I want to address today. In last year's report, we addressed what is by many people seen as our main mandate in the European Fiscal Board to look at the way in which the national fiscal rules are applied, um, and in particular, uh, how they have evolved since the uh, crisis. Uh, so I shall not uh, come back to that topic today. Uh, we are preparing already an annual report for this autumn, which will follow up on, on that. And in, in that assessment, ex post assessment, we follow a historical perspective, obviously. We looked last year at 2016, uh, the whole calendar year with all the follow-up recommendations that were made, and this coming uh, report will look at 2017. But today is in a different category in the sense that we look forward uh, the appropriate fiscal stance for the euro area, more specifically next year in 2019. Uh, as uh, member states are currently preparing their annual budgets uh, this is the time for the European Commission and for us uh, as advisors to the Commission to make up our minds as to what should the euro area fiscal stance be. Uh, but that leads me naturally into saying something about that concept of the euro area fiscal stance. Uh, I recall from um, early days, well before Bruegel was started, but uh, your first uh, head of uh, staff, uh, Jean Pissani-Ferry, uh, uh, he was very keen uh, on the idea of the euro area fiscal stance, which is essentially a way of asking, once you have looked at all the national recommendations and added them up, does it make sense? Or is there some adjustment to be made, both to give uh, a proper balance to the whole uh, fiscal thrust of the uh, now 19 euro area countries, and to look at the appropriate balance with uh, monetary policy? Um, <clears throat> In uh, the Maastricht Treaty, uh, this perspective was, in the end, uh, uh, removed. Uh, it was very much present in the discussions, as I experienced, uh, led by some of those who felt that um, the euro area could not, even in a fairly fragmented state, 
appear in international meetings, uh, G7 and elsewhere, and say, we, we do not really have a fiscal stance. Uh, but we expect you, uh, United States, Japan, and others, uh, to, to have one. So um, uh, we, are, we are in need of, of developing this concept uh, a bit further. Uh, but that did not have uh, general support, and, and in the end it was felt that um, the adjustments that might come out of such an evaluation of the UAE fiscal stance could lead to confusion, to conflict with the national rules. And that conflict is also reflected uh, in the way that the mandate for the European Fiscal Board has been discussed, because some countries uh, saw it clearly as the main mandate for us, just to look at how the rules applied. Are they applied with sufficient strictness to serve uh, the preservation of fiscal sustainability for the long term that was the original purpose at Maastricht? Or have they been compromised in various ways, uh, uh, particularly since uh, the crisis? Um, uh, that is one uh, view, and one uh, view that is based historically in the Maastricht Treaty. Uh, but the uh, other part of the mandate was also inserted that uh, we should look again at the UAE fiscal stance because that had also that concept had been revived uh, with the so-called two-pack in 2013 when uh, it is mentioned that the Commission should uh, evaluate this uh, stance. But it's still a somewhat abstract notion. It's more seen, I think, even sometimes by the Commission itself as an afterthought. Uh, than as a guide to policy, because it leaves open, obviously, the question, how do we implement uh, a fiscal stance if we uh, find that it doesn't quite correspond to the sum that we have made in national recommendations? And um, that, uh, of course, requires then changing some of the national recommendations. Um, but um, let me look at uh, this uh, idea in the, in the context of the uh, European economy as it now looks after some good years of expansion. These are the main messages in our report that you see now on the screen. The UAE has enjoyed a healthy expansion for some time, and uh, that creates certainly uh, strong opportunities for taking very seriously the need to preserve fiscal sustainability for the long term, to create fiscal buffers in short. Uh, there's a need to, uh, not to make the mistake that uh, was made in 2006 or 5 to 7, 8, uh, namely that um, good times were wasted, uh, fiscal buffers were not built up prior to the crisis, and uh, that led to um, the tensions that arose when ultimately, as the crisis struck, fiscal policy had to be uh, eased very considerably. Uh, that exposed a number of countries to serious problems and uh, pro-cyclical contractionary policies for three years that uh, still uh, linger on in the minds of many people. Um, so we think uh, the time has come to look again at uh, the UAE fiscal stance and see uh, uh, how the sum of the recommendations that are now being made for 18 and 19 look um, uh, and how they look in the perspective of uh, what are public finances likely to be in 2019? Uh, are they ready to, for a new shock if uh, a new shock hits, even a much less serious one than in 2008 to 10? In the end, we are recommending uh, not a radical shift in uh, fiscal stance, but a change in the almost uh, ritualistic wording that has been given, sent out by the, the Commission and the Council in the past three years, 
brought in neutral fiscal stance. We said last year, in a similar report in June uh, 2017, maybe 2018 still looks like a, a, a neutral fiscal stance in the aggregate for the UAE was right. And then we went on to discuss some of the country adjustments that would still be required. And we did say uh, in that report that if um, conditions turned out better than they were expected to be at that time, then uh, especially countries with high debt need to improve their structural underlying positions. And that, is, uh, that message is uh, clearly uh, relevant today. If we had foreseen, and that goes not only for the European Fiscal Board, but also for the Commission and many governments, how good a year also 2018 was, uh, a similar recommendation uh, could have been made already in, in 2017 with respect to this year and to next year. But our main point is also uh, with respect to the UAA fiscal stance in 2019, that there's no real contradiction between the uh, national recommendations that are currently being made by the Commission, the sum of those recommendations, and what seems to us to be an appropriate fiscal stance, namely a moderately restrictive fiscal stance in 2019. This whole set of issues uh, is the main uh, uh, presentation I will make today, but it is linked, in fact, also in ways that are not always obvious to the longer-term plans that are developing, but at a snail's pace, it must be admitted after the UAE uh, summit uh, this past week, uh, that the longer-term fiscal framework needs to be uh, strengthened, uh, because an effective uh, function for the future that is jointly managed needs to be combined with both simpler and stronger national fiscal rules, and to that extent the two subjects hang together. I'll make one brief remark about that towards the end. But let me uh, move to the slides that will illustrate uh, three points about 2019. First, the um, UAE real GDP has expanded faster than expected now for the last three years at least. Uh, for 2019, we are currently foreseeing a level of, of income which is more than 2% higher than what was foreseen for 2019 when the first predictions were made at the end of 2016. And you'll see substantial upward revisions in this graph uh, for the, also for the years 16, 17, and 18. So uh, that shows uh, that the UAE uh, real uh, economy, real GDP, has expanded fast and faster than expected, which was one of the arguments we used for uh, building also uh, fiscal uh, buffers. Of course, the level of, of activity matters greatly, not just the, the pace of growth or the uh, <coughs> growth of, of output relative to estimates of potential output. But if you look at the next, uh, this graph and the next two, <coughs> excuse me, um, at the, uh, where we are currently in the cycle, unemployment is back to levels uh, observed uh, during the previous booms. Uh, the uh, output gap, the lower curve here the, uh, in red, uh, is moving into positive territory in 2018 and will move further there in 2019. So um, you don't have to rely only on the output gap to conclude that uh, the economies are doing well. 
Are national governments or the Commission too optimistic about uh, the position? No, not at all, we think. If you look at the next slide, you will see that the Commission is in good company in um, estimating uh, the uh, uh, positive output gap for 2019. Uh, both the IMF, the OECD, uh, have, the ECB also has similar figures, and um, uh, there's also included here an estimate including the effects of the fiscal financial cycle, which has lagged effects still depressing uh, uh, potential output. So, uh, the European Commission is in uh, good company. Historically, we can also note that um, in uh, earlier uh, good times, there was a tendency, particularly by national governments, but also by the Commission, though, to a smaller extent, to underestimate the extent to which their economies were doing well. That was the case in the uh, positive cycle in uh, two, around 2000, also just prior to the big crisis in 2007-8. It is also the case now, uh, a bit more hesitantly maybe, but still the case in 2017-18. So uh, there is this tendency that uh, revisions to um, uh, figures for growth uh, are not uh, completely random. There's a tendency to underrate the good times when they happen. And that, I think, is a message to uh, uh, not to forget in the present circumstances. And in that context, the next graph is uh, worrisome because there you see that um, good times are indeed, in that sense, being wasted. The blue part of those uh, columns there are the changes in the structural uh, primary balance, the main indicator of the thrust of fiscal policy, the one to which we refer when we talk about the neutral fiscal stance, then the blue would not be there at all. And you will note for both 2018 and 19, despite this uh, uh, excellent conditions, the um, uh, deterioration of the structural budget eats up much of that uh, cyclical gain that uh, you will see represented by the yellow striped uh, column uh, and also the little gain on top of that from interest rates that are also lower than had been expected. The situation is in a sense uh, even more serious in 2019. There the uh, deterioration in the structural balance in fact matches, eats up completely the cyclical gains uh, made. So. Um, uh, there you have a, a more or less uh, uh, zero uh, actual balance, but a structural uh, deficit of about 0.4% as in 2018. <clears throat> when we look at, at the um, way in which the Commission itself summarizes um, the fiscal stance, uh, you will find in the next uh, graph uh, a chart uh, that links the output gap to the uh, fiscal stance measured again by the change in the structural balance, the blue element in the previous uh, curve. And you'll see we exited from the heavily uh, pro-cyclical uh, fiscal contractions between 2011, 13, maybe 14, to enter a period when the fiscal stance became slightly expansionary, almost neutral, but slightly expansionary. Interrupted briefly in 2017, uh, unintended, uh, I think one can say, but there was a slight uh, change there. We moved back into a tightening of uh, 
of an improvement in the structural balance. But that is interrupted again in 2018 and 19. And the blue line that goes up vertically from the 2018 point in this graph is the, um, uh, in fact, the sum of the recommendations that the Commission is making to national governments in the so-called country-specific recommendations that have recently been issued, though not yet adopted by the European Council. That will happen in, um, uh, that maybe does have happened, I'm not sure. But anyway, they are, uh, the sum of them makes for um, tightening of the structural balance by about 0.3% instead of the deterioration which is in the current plans by governments uh, which is to uh, for, to continue a deterioration at the rate of 0.4 uh, in 2019. Um, this um, uh, result in the aggregate for the area fiscal stance uh, has, of course, to be examined in the light of the uh, uh, composition by countries. And you will see in the, and this is in fact the final uh, real graph that I have, that most of the fiscal expansion in both 2018 and 19 has occurred in countries that have serious problems of sustainability. The three colors of uh, countries here reflect whether they are classified in the Commission's sustainability analysis as having no problems of sustainability, uh, low risk uh, of sustainability, or high risk. Uh, high risk is the uh, reddish ones. And uh, you will note that uh, there's a striking absence of the large countries with serious sustainability problems, large debt, in both 2018 and 19 in the area of counter-cyclical fiscal contraction, which is where you should in a way be, both on stabilization grounds and on sustainability grounds. And that uh, most of the large countries are still well into the territory of pro-cyclical fiscal expansion. So uh, this suggests to us that um, it is time indeed to look critically at the, uh, what I call the ritualistic uh, recommendation of just saying uh, neutral stance. It should be uh, moderately restrictive, as the previous graph suggested, and it should be better composed, of course. We have not dispensed with the imbalances within the area. We're not addressing this recommendation of uh, tightening up uh, to the countries that are in the best uh, fiscal positions, but only to those that are in fact uh, targeted by the country-specific recommendations, and they are primarily the ones with the red and yellow circles here in the final graph. Um, there are several uh, objections that one will make to uh, changing the language from a neutral stance to a moderately restrictive. The first is, of course, that it may not make much of a difference anyway. The language is uh, ambiguous. Um, no, we're not really making a clear plea for a particular figure. Uh, we don't think the evidence can sustain that. Uh, but we think a change in tone is important. Uh, and we see, uh, or we will see, uh, the absence of any uh, willingness to move in the direction of somewhat modifying the recommendation in the aggregate as a sign that um, uh, the Commission and, and national governments in the end, the Council certainly, um, do not have the full confidence in the positive evaluation of the outlook which they have in principle subscribed to, and that's uh, uh, why we make it. We're perfectly aware that um, uh, we may be, as uh, a Prime Minister in my country, uh, 
said a couple of times to the Danish Fiscal Council when they recommended tightening of fiscal policy, you're politically tone deaf. Uh, it's a task, I think, of independent uh, bodies such as the European Fiscal Board and National Fiscal Councils to be politically tone deaf and try to see uh, how far do economic arguments carry you. And that's what we are trying to do with this uh, element. But we are, of course, aware that after a lengthy crisis, uh, when many public expenditures have been postponed for several years, there is a pent-up uh, resistance to uh, making the kind of, of uh, uh, full follow-up of the recommendations made at the European level in a number of uh, countries. Um, this, I think, is uh, most of what I want to say about the Euro area fiscal stance, but let me turn to my final page on the slides because we link up this uh, discussion of the euro area fiscal stance and the national fiscal rules and the need to observe them more carefully when the going is good as it is now. Um, we link that to the ideas of the stabilization function that is currently under discussion, though, as I mentioned, at a snail's pace. Um, the Commission has proposed um, uh, already in its package last December, but now elaborated in May, uh, an investment stabilization fund uh, with a modest uh, budget of about 30 billion for the seven-year period that starts in 2021. Uh, they envisage that this is a first step uh, with other elements, uh, including uh, more lending on a less conditional basis by the ESM and possibly also a special rainy day fund uh, with national contributions uh, uh, that are built up and then drawn on when uh, uh, the economy turns uh, worse. These are the two other elements. If you look at the Commission's uh, uh, presentation, they are sort of hanging a bit in the air. Uh, there's no decision about them, nor is there a decision about the stabilization function, but at least it has received some sympathy from several governments, including that it was uh, seemed to have been uh, approved uh, in principle by the German and French governments at the Mieseburg meeting before the, uh, uh, the Euro area summit. But the core issue here, I think, is also that um, uh, such a uh, central stabilization function would have to rely on some of the same uh, decisions and uh, uh, reflections that have marked the national rules. Uh, how far can you go in making the rules apply more or less automatically. Could you define a stabilization function where funds were somehow triggered automatically by some criterion? What degree of economic judgment would you have to make? Uh, that is the first question apart from the size, and we discuss these two issues in the final part of our report. Um, and our conclusion is, as with the national rules, that. Um, uh, automatic uh, rules can uh, rules can never be uh, fully automatic. They require to be applied with a good deal of discretion, and it's important that discretion is applied in a transparent way, and in a way that doesn't isn't seen as, in a sense, distorting the purposes of the uh, the rules. And in that sense, unless uh, the national rules are uh, observed carefully, and particularly in, in good times, it would be very difficult to argue that you can make uh, use of a central stabilization function, rely on similar principles, or even more that you can say to countries, your access to such a stabilization fund depends on whether you have fulfilled the national rules. That really brings again 
the national routes to the forefront. We see these two proposals, therefore, as linked. Some tend to regard them purely as uh, substitutes. Those that are most uh, critical about the stabilization function uh, think it will undermine the willingness to uh, apply the national rules. Um, we think the, by a good design you can uh, remove that feature and indeed strengthen the national rules. Um, those who are very keen on, on the uh, uh, stabilization function see it as more of a replacement, uh, uh, major easing of fiscal policy in Europe. That is not the case either. So there's a lot of ground to be covered, and, and the European Commission uh, deserves praise for having at least uh, brought forward a proposal for the next year, uh, next uh, medium-term financial framework. But it is uh, a very small start, a very uh, tiny start in terms of amount, and it uh, doesn't quite uh, address the issue that we see as crucial, what is the linkage between the national rules and a joint initiative of this kind. Thank you very much. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Sanias, for a very interesting presentation. The update on the numbers is always uh, very important to be updated on, on the latest numbers. And I'll thank you also for linking the discussion to what is currently very topical, and that is the, the stabilization function of uh, <clears throat> the need for, or not, of stabilization function of the euro area. So, um, going to have five minutes to kick off the discussion, and then uh, we will open up the, uh, the discussion with our audience. Well, thank you also from my side, Niels, for the wonderful presentation. Because otherwise we have the echo. Um, perhaps what I thought I would do is uh, just comment on uh, on three three points, and I hope that five minutes is actually enough for that. I mean, one is um, sort of the the starting point, which is uh, was the discussion of the history of the fiscal stance, and let me say one or two words on that. Then uh, sort of the core is uh, the question of whether the current uh, fiscal stance um, for the Eurozone is appropriate or should be slightly more restrictive. And then perhaps one comment on the, uh, the forward-looking framework. Now let me start with, um, with uh, sort of the history, and I think you rightly described sort of the quest for the fiscal stance predates the Euro almost. And, um, there was a discussion, a long-term long discussion ongoing. Uh, my, my predecessor here at Bruegel was, uh, uh, as many in France, on the side of those believing and arguing that we need a fiscal stance. And as you know, we didn't uh, decide to have one um, at the time. And um, if you look back at it, I mean, at the time, uh, it probably wasn't really necessary to include a fiscal stance um, in the in the in the governance framework. Why is that? Well, basically because we were at a time when the real interest rate um, in the economy was actually um, quite high, um, perhaps two percentage points higher than it's uh, than it is now. The real equilibrium interest rate. And so that, that gives you, as a monetary authority, actually much more space to move the interest rate up and down um, and to, therefore to be able to react to a downturn um, for the euro area-wide economy. And so the split of work that was decided at the time was, well, basically monetary policy is responsible for the area-wide uh, business cycle stabilization while fiscal policy is responsible for the country-specific fiscal uh, country-specific cycles, and in a sense, that framework uh, I think intellectually is sound in a world in which monetary policy has a lot of space to react. Right now, the problem is um, we are now 
um, according to many estimates, in a world where the real uh, equilibrium interest rate um, is much lower um, and where, therefore, um, the space for monetary policy to uh, steer the monetary um, the, the cycle is much more limited and arguably in, uh, in the period uh, 2012, 13, 14, 15 especially, we were, I mean, we were really at the limit of what monetary policy could do um, and would have benefited from uh, some form of a fiscal, fiscal boost uh, which didn't happen, um, and so, so arguably um, the eurozone was for longer in a recession than it should have been um, uh, around that period due to the lack of a fiscal stance. So, so I, I think that's that's perhaps my my first point, and so so I guess sort of looking forward, the the key question is. Uh, do we live in a Larry Summers world, right, where we think the real equilibrium interest rate is very low for basically the next 10 or 20 years, or do we think we are actually uh, going, going back to, to the old times? Now, the second, the second point is on this um, uh, current fiscal stance, uh, and here, I mean, I, I think I probably overall... Um, agree with, with what you are saying, I would nevertheless point to two or three um, observations that make me doubt your analysis. I mean, the first, the first is, um, is the very simple inflation numbers. Um, you didn't show the inflation numbers, you only showed sort of the output gap measures, which by um, definition are difficult to measure, and you showed the unemployment levels, which of course are now down quite a bit, but I think if you look at the unemployment numbers a bit more specifically, um, it's true that um, a lot of uh, the reduction in unemployment is in temporary jobs um, and wage growth itself is still quite muted in many countries. Um, and inflation numbers, um, while it's true that the headline inflation number is now, uh, I think, close to 2%, the overall inflation, um, uh, the core inflation numbers are still actually quite, uh, quite weak and quite moderate. So I'm... Um, Personally, a little bit more on the cautious side there um, than than you are, and you know I think wouldn't mind if um, uh, if um, you know we keep it easy for a little bit longer um, uh, than uh, than uh, you suggest. Per perhaps the other point to remark in that context is, uh, of course, um, how do you deal with risks? Um, and I was surprised that there's no discussion of this whatsoever, in the, at least in your presentation. I mean, we do have a number of very important risks out there, uh, especially uh, on the trade side, which would uh, immediately have pretty, uh, pretty strong uh, implications for our business cycle. And so, I mean, at least I think what the fiscal authorities should be doing is they should prepare and be ready to respond uh, macroeconomically with domestic macroeconomic policies if something on the trade side uh, goes, goes wrong. Um, and the last point in that respect is, um, is the discussion of the country-specific uh, distribution. And there, I, I think the one thing that I think you could have uh, uh, mentioned a bit more strongly was, and I, was, I, I, th I thought the number was quite striking, was that, that France actually does a very significant, um, if I re read that correctly, a very significant structural boost in the current situation. And I was a bit, uh, a bit surprised by that number. Um, so it seems to go exactly in the wrong direction. I mean, uh, France I mean, ha has the benefit of the cyclical upturn to, um, 
uh, to sort of uh, fix uh, some of its deficit numbers, but then at least structurally it shouldn't uh, deteriorate the position. And so I, uh, perhaps you can comment a bit more on, on what's, what's happening there. Um, so my, my third point was looking forward, and then I, I think I'm already over time. Um, so, so I guess the only point there I wanted to make is I, 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 think, I think you're probably right that um, the reform of the fiscal rules and the fiscal capacity uh, are connected, these debates, and that they shouldn't be seen as substitutes but rather as complements. Now, I don't want to comment on the rules, but on the fiscal capacity, I guess the... the, the um, uh, the question is, uh, for what do we need it? Um, and if I understand you correctly, you were saying, well, perhaps we need it to help us manage an area-wide fiscal stance. In my view, there is, it's actually very difficult to manage an area-wide fiscal stance with a central capacity as long as 98% of government spending is national. Um, I would see the central fiscal capacity more as, a, as an instrument that helps us uh, support countries that are severely hit by an asymmetric shock or that are severely hit by a symmetric shock but that have uh, li limited fiscal space to deal with this, right? Uh, because, you know, um, the, the area by fiscal stance, you manage that basically by coordinating 98% of national uh, government spending and making sure that everybody plays by the rules. With a area-wide uh, fiscal capacity, if you distribute the money around, it's still going to be spent through national budgets, and so the national budgets basically just substitute one way of finding it, financing it with another way of financing it. It doesn't necessarily change the stance. So I think the, the, air, the, the fiscal capacity, you need it really for country-specific needs, country-specific shocks. Thank you. Um. Thank you very much, Gunram. Uh, there's a lot there to discuss. <laughs> um, if I may just echo one point, it's still actually quite surprising to see that, um, that, that we're still using very much the mean reversion way of, of predicting the future, right? And uh, you mentioned in your presentation that uh, you know maybe we are overestimating or underestimating that we're in good times. Um, we, we need to remember how much we underestimated being in bad times. In the, on the downside on the previous cycle. So I think that's just yet we are still on the same track of the mean reversion. We are too quick to mean revert in whichever direction we are going. And I think this is why I think the point, and that's the bit that I'd like to echo, the point that Guntram raised about the risks, and there seem to be a lot of risks around, uh, coming primarily from external conditions, but there are a lot of the risks that surely merit uh, an attempt at least to, um, to quantify uh, really, uh, what our mean, what our sort of baseline scenario is, because the baseline scenario, of course, it is what the models will tell you, uh, but the intelligent reading of the risks will help us tell us where we are on this, on this, uh, what you call the um, uh, the, the underestimation. Uh, so I think that's that's an important thing that because we've seen that, and, and you know, it, it doesn't help to look at other forecasts because other forecasts have got similar problems and they all correlate. What's important is to under, uh, make a proper assessment of, of the underlying risks. Um, why don't we uh, quick response to this, and uh, then we collect a few questions, or <coughs> maybe just make a couple of comments, Please. if I may, at this point. The interaction with monetary policy that Gontram uh, refers to is, of course, absolutely right, and that's one reason why <coughs> a euro area fiscal stabilization function 
it's not something a perfectionist dream for a more complete uh, EMU. It is something that is needed uh, in the shorter term because whatever you think about the stabilizing properties of monetary policy, which uh, have been considerable in the past, it's unlikely that by the time we are hit by the next crisis, European Central Bank will have raised interest rates sufficiently to make any major easing possible. So there is a short-term problem as well as the longer-term problem of finding the right balance between the two. And you are of course right that when uh, the idea of the Euro area fiscal stance was initially discussed, maybe you, uh, most people had in mind the opposite situation, that fiscal policy was overall much too expansionary, and monetary policy therefore had to be more restrictive than was desirable on growth grounds in the longer run, impeding investment and so on. So uh, uh, there was a reinforcement, in a sense, of the uh, fiscal rules and restraints uh, uh, through uh, the euro area fiscal stance that uh, one had in mind, not so much just a neutral rebalancing of the uh, efforts. Guntram uh, is certainly right that we have not dealt maybe fully uh, with some of the uh, doubts about, uh, say, our confidence in the outlook. Uh, we do not discuss uh, inflation developments uh, uh, in particular. Uh, we, we just note that uh, inflation is low and, and that uh, is one of the elements that assures us that monetary policy will continue to be accommodating for quite a while. No matter, we don't need to fear that we, if we were to t t tighten a little bit on the fiscal side, that this would also come along with monetary tightening. That would be unfortunate and be too much. So um, uh, we do take it into account, so a bit indirectly. Uh, but of course there are risks, there are always uh, risks, and, and uh, um, our concern was mainly that uh, the way in which risks are mentioned now in, in uh, the Commission's own publications is as if they almost override the basic, uh, uh, the baseline scenario that they have outlined for 2019. Uh, on France, you raised the particular point that uh, it's uh, worrisome to see France uh, uh, sit there with a major expansion. That is in part, uh, I think, a, a statistical artifact for the, the redistribution of the French budgets between 2018 and 2019 that you may recall uh, that uh, was a result of some unexpected expenditures in 2018 that are taken into account now. But, but anyway, I agree, Francis, uh, but you don't need to look at two years in combination. Francis is somewhat exaggerated here. It is not quite as low as it looks here. Uh, that's, uh, I think, my, my main point. Uh, we also make uh, errors in the other direction. Of, of course we did that in, in 2011 to 13. Then it was mainly, I think, uh, the uh, impact of a joint contraction in a number of countries, which made the fiscal multipliers larger in conjunction also with the, uh, at that time, uh, lack of experience with the lower bound of, of interest rates. Uh, so uh, things worked too strongly in, in reverse, but these were, I think, maybe more truly exceptional circumstances than what we see now. And uh, We have reverted here to a, a bit more of the pattern we've seen in past, uh, near past peaks of, of earlier cycles that uh, national governments in particular uh, tend to understate uh, uh, how good times they are, uh, they have. Thank you. Let's have the questions by all means. Sure, thank you very much, Sonia. That was wonderful. Questions? Okay, we have two questions here, the gentleman and then Gregory. Um, you can use the microphone there, there is a... or whichever you. Okay. 
Thank you. Good afternoon. My name is Javier Goz. I'm a member of the European Economic and Social Committee. First of all, I thank Mr. Wolf and Mr. Tigesen by the presentation. Well, the European Fiscal Board advocate a restrictive, negative fiscal stance in 2019 when the European Central Bank will end quantitative easing in December and perhaps will begin to raise interest rate next spring. Second, at the same time, Germany will have a current account surplus between 7 and 8% of its gross domestic product between 2017 and 2019, continue. Uh, also Netherlands and uh, other, some, other, some other countries, no? The, the third question, Mr. Mr. Wolf and, and, and Alexander Roth on a very interesting article 20 days ago in, in the block of this foundation, uh, showed that between 2013 and 2017, the net rate of public capital was negative in Germany between these five years, and also negative or near zero from since 2003. There is very uh, important other figure, other questions that it's relation with the Fiscal stance also. Uh, in this, in this here also, Mr. Angel Gurria present uh, the the survey the of the OECD survey about uh, Euro area and European Union, and so that um, one of the most for me important things is from 19s the productivity in Europe is declining. And now this is the few of the all, the fewest of the all region of the world. Only one zero point six percent in the in the last years between two thousand and seven and two thousand and sixteen. Well, taking into account this data and these trends, two uh, two questions to Mr. Tigerson. Why is not a proceeding by excessive surplus against Germany, the Netherlands, and other countries of Eurozone to correct this important imbalance? Or oh, this is not important imbalance because the surplus of these countries are the deficits of other countries, of course. It's, it's clear. And the second, and I, I finish, how is it possible to advocate a negative fiscal stance when what should be advised is invest, invest, and invest to increase the productivity. This is the future of our economies, and correct and correct the situation. Reduce the surplus of these countries, Germany and other. Reduce the deficit of other countries, and to make strong the economy, and also also. Uh, the, the, the society, our society, 
because of the, the social consequence of the extreme austerity, the management of the crisis, we, we leave this consequence. Social and political, because of the first problem in Europe now is a, the, the political crisis. Thank you very much, Gregory. Uh, yeah, uh, so Gregory Kles from Bruegel. Um, first, let me uh, say uh, there is some kind of echo. I don't know why. Oh, sorry. Uh, because of you. Okay. Uh, so let me let me first uh, congratulate Niels and, and the board for the quality of the report. I read it this morning and I really enjoyed the reading that. Uh, it's a really good report. I think I share some of the um, of the of the comments that Guntram made, but overall I think it's really a balanced assessment. Uh, of the situation, and I really regret that such an institution didn't exist uh, in 2010 or 2012 uh, when there was a fiscal contraction. Uh, but I have two questions on on the institutional section uh, because you 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 discuss a lot uh, the the fiscal capacity and the reform of the fiscal rules. And on that point, at some point you say, and you said it uh, also during your presentation, that you favor discretion over automaticity. But in the in the paper, you don't really explain if if there, you you say that there needs to be some discretion. But don't you, you don't really explain which institution would uh, exerce that discretion? So I think it would be interesting for you to elaborate on this, uh, because we don't really have an executive uh, institution that could uh, exerce that discretion at the eurozone level. And the second point is on the fiscal rule. You also advocate for reform. And you mentioned that you will uh, elaborate on this in, uh, in the annual report, I think, uh, later this year. But if you already have some, some views on, on this, it would be also interesting to, to hear that. Thank you. Thank you, Gregory. This one question here, and then come back to continue. Yes, thank you. Uh, my question concerns the European Investment Stabilization Function. Now, the Commission is arguing that the EISF is intended for any size of a member state. Would you agree that the proposed 30 billion, uh, which obviously has been uh, proposed, would be more suitable for a small or a small sized economy uh, in the European Union? What would happen if, let's say, you have two or more member states facing an econometric shock with the size of fund that is being proposed? Thank you. Our friend from uh, Spain uh, made a number of, of uh, important uh, points. I think he's a bit too pessimistic. Uh, uh, the ECB <coughs> is ending its uh, purchases, uh, is maintaining its stock of, of assets in the balance sheet. It is uh, uh, not going to raise interest rates, as you hinted early uh, next year. I, I take more seriously what they said uh, in their recent uh, communications sometime in the second half, uh, maybe next year, and very cautiously. Uh, they are very much, uh, maybe rightly so, obsessed with the communication problem of, of not taking uh, action too quickly. So I don't see that uh, there's a risk of overkill by saying that at least then the fiscal uh, uh, powder should be kept more dry than uh, is the case uh, with the monetary powder. You're right, certainly, in pointing to uh, the two real problems that uh, productivity growth is unsatisfactory and that investment levels are too low, and that is clearly also reflected in the current account position. Not only that of Germany, also the Netherlands, most of Northern Europe, in fact, but also to some extent uh, in, in uh, some part of, of the rest of Europe. We shouldn't forget that uh, 
the um, uh, other countries in the euro area have almost uh, by now without exception uh, uh, corrected their balance of payments uh, situation uh, that was uh, really very sharply negative for a long time. So I don't think the, uh, uh, the external problem is, is quite as dramatic as you say. Of course the German surplus is too large and, and uh, I don't quite know what the German budget frankly is for 2018 and when we discuss this uh, recommendation for the Commission, uh, they said we don't quite know yet we, we, and we are still recommending to Germany to expand so maybe if they do that it will still add up to a neutral fiscal stance. Uh, uh, Maybe that's, that's fine. That would, to us, maybe constitute an argument that then the, some of the others could do even more. But we don't know uh, yet about the, uh, the, the, the German policy. Our main point was simply the one that you cannot dismiss the idea of the EUA fiscal stand simply by saying that you cannot construct a sum of national recommendations that is not consistent with this euro uh, uh, area fiscal stance. And that in itself, I think, is important. We should sometimes uh, force ourselves also to think in terms of a unified area, although we are far from it, and although there are still significant imbalances uh, to correct, and certainly productivity, and not least in Germany, is, is one of them. Gregory <coughs> uh, Case raised a couple of questions about who should exercise discretion. Uh, all uh, we, we say is really that uh, economic arguments uh, should uh, be put on the table uh, in an undiluted form in some way, and, and that is a problem that has also concerned uh, a group of French and German economists who said uh, maybe there's too much mix of, of uh, political arguments already when uh, early evaluations are made. It would be better to have a sharper recommendation. That's part of the purpose of having a European fiscal board that we should exercise that kind of judgment. But we're not uh, there to take decisions, of course. Decisions have to be taken on political grounds. But it's important that the arguments are clearly on the table uh, for taking those uh, decisions. That applies both to the uh, way in which the European uh, fiscal stabilization board would be, uh, a fiscal stabilization fund would be represented, and the way in which the national uh, funds, are, national decisions are uh, are taken. We have no illusions that uh, this could be done by a technocratic uh, institution. That's not the case in, in with the independent fiscal councils either in, in the national environment. It is simply a way of uh, getting stronger economic arguments into the debate before the decision is taken. And we uh, will elaborate on that in, in our uh, annual report. Uh, uh, I'm not sure we can, I can say much more than that. We are certainly generally moving in the same direction as our, both, uh, I think, the Commission itself, but also the IMF, uh, for example, and the OECD, that uh, there's a need for simplifying in terms of emphasizing one longer-term goal. Fiscal sustainability is inevitably tied mainly to, to the evolution of the debt ratio, but there has also to be an operational Target or intermediate target, whichever you call it, uh, which leads you towards that in a, at a reasonable pace. But that is where then the discretion is to be exercised. And there are too many parallel systems uh, between the actual deficits and the structural deficits, between the structural deficit and the expenditure benchmarks. We think there's considerable room for simplification. And we propose, propose to discuss a couple of simple ideas of that uh, uh, nature. Um, the, uh, 
I'm not sure I quite caught the, the nature of the, the questions from the, the, the final speaker, but uh, you seem to say that um, there, there could be several countries affected by this. Uh, it's another discussion. I didn't go into that here. We also have a couple of remarks on that. Uh, uh, the thinking in the Commission has been that a new facility should be primarily for asymmetric shocks affecting one country, maybe two countries. Uh, historic experience shows that uh, although we have had some cases of such uh, shocks, uh, in fact the, the source of shocks is very often common and symmetric ones coming from the outside. Uh, and that requires both larger resources, but it also in a way facilitates the acceptance of doing something and uh, doing it uh, jointly. So we argue in our report that um, a European Stabilization Fund should also be able to deal with symmetric shocks that affect several countries at one time. We hope that, and uh, we're sure that the shocks will not be as large because also preparations are much better as they were in 2010 to 12, but that uh, they could still be significant across borders, and we think it's important to have resources to deal with that, as well as the asymmetric shocks. Let me just uh, sort of react to two or three uh, points as well. I mean, one was on this, this surplus question, and thank you for uh, quoting, quoting my, my blog post. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I, I think my view here is um, we need both uh, corporate um, and we need uh, public investment in Germany, and that's a long-term structural issue. And so... Um, my advice has been to uh, to work on both, um, and I see that uh, on the public side, the the, the budget um, for 2019 that um, the new German finance minister has proposed looks actually very similar to uh, what was proposed before uh, by the previous finance minister. So there is no no substantial shift here in the position, uh, with perhaps the exception of. Um, uh, you know, in, in, uh, an attempt to reform uh, the rules and the constitution in Germany that would allow somewhat more um, uh, transfers to local communes um, that have actually been um, uh, the biggest uh, contributions to to the decrease in the investment. Right. So, so there is an an attempt to give federal money. Uh, more or less directly to uh, the local communities, and that actually needs some constitutional changes, and they are working on that, but I don't think that will uh, be effective for 2019. That might, might be effective later. But I think that's an important, perhaps an important shift, but overall I would say the shift overall is not really strong, and so, so I'm actually worried on the, on the public side, and then there's the big corporate side, where, I mean, most of the current account surplus um, and the turnaround from basically uh, zero to plus eight percent surplus has been coming from uh, from the corporate sector, the non-financial corporate sector. And so, I guess there is a policy question: what can be done about the non-financial corporate sector? Uh, I had a piece in, in Handelsblatt um, in which I, I argued inter alia for uh, considering uh, to reform the corporate. Uh, the depreciation rules for corporate investment in the corporate um, in the corporate uh, tax code, which I think would would be a useful way of of boosting uh, in, uh, corporate investment in Germany, and that would actually help Germany, but it would help also the rebalancing of the eurozone. 
Um, perhaps the second quick point I wanted to make is on this um, size of the investment capacity. I mean, uh, I, I think I agree with, with Niels. I mean, the way the Commission sees this is probably for country-specific shocks um, that are only in the country, while area-wide we anyway... I mean, area-wide, to my mind, we anyway need to rely on the national budgets, right? Uh, because that's where the, the real capacity is, right? Now then, can you, can you have uh, an area-wide fiscal uh, fund that is so big that, or borrowing capacity that you help several, I mean, several countries that are hit at the same time? I think that's what we basically need, right? So because you need the help for those countries which are at the brink of losing market access. And unfortunately, there's more than one, right? I mean, there's a several of those that could lose market access in case we have a bigger shock. Now, for that, I don't think what we are currently seeing on the table is, is actually sufficient. I mean, this is, this is more a sort of, well, I mean, Gregory, you, you wrote a blog post on this, right? So which uh, details that a little bit. Um, you didn't say it's cosmetic, but uh, you said it's perhaps not quite as, as strong as, um, as you would wish it to be. Uh, per perhaps my very last point is on this coordination uh, issue and so on, and I think there my view is um, I had just a piece out on the European semester and you know the, the, the failings of the European semester in really driving national change. And I think there we clearly need, and there I welcome that we, we, uh, Neil said we need more simple rules. I think we also need much better communication. I mean, this European semester exercise has become an incomprehensible exercise, and nobody reads this stuff in the in, in the member states. Nobody understands this stuff. So this needs to be simplified. We need uh, clear, readable, digestible documents that go into national debates so that at the national level these things are seriously debated. Otherwise, I mean, we can produce stuff for, our, for ourselves here in Brussels, but that's not, uh, not going to improve economic policy in Europe. We need to improve the communication and make it clearer and more understandable. Thank you, John. There's two last questions there, and uh, Francesco, thank you. Yeah. Uh, James Watson, uh, Business Europe. Coming back to France, but I think it also builds on Gunther's last point there. I mean, the big story, really, um, of, the, of, the, of the, the European semester of the, of the spring package was France being taken outside of the excessive taken out of the excessive deficit procedure. And it does seem to me, for an independent fiscal board who's tone deaf, that's what I wanted to hear about, essentially. What's, what's your opinion on that? And I think particularly with the, with the, with the optics of it, with, with obviously having a, a, French, a French commissioner. So, you know, just, just an observation. Firstly, I think, you know, that is what we want to hear about. And, and I mean, just looking at the numbers, France, I mean, you, you mentioned a statistical artifact in, in recent years, but France is still expected to run a, a deficit of 2.8% government deficit in 2019, according to the Commission forecast. So it is quite puzzling how, how it can run such a large, for, uh, large deficit, you know, such a long time into the cycle and still be um, in line with the rules. So it would be interesting to hear more about that. Yeah, Francesco Vadia from Brugge. Um, I would like to take up the last point of, of Gontram about communication uh, and also connected to one of your last slides, uh, the ones uh, with the big uh, red uh, 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 circles, um, uh, one of which is Italy. Um, and, and of course, I mean, you get the sense uh, that in Italy they want to move exactly in the opposite direction in which you would like them to move. 
And my question is, what is uh, the chance, what is uh, the opportunity uh, for your uh, European Fiscal Board to have contacts with technical people uh, in, in, in national capitals who do something like what you do? So a dispassionate, as you said, uh, putting economic issues on the table, no, uh, no political uh, considerations, um, in the hope that these kind of arguments uh, would uh, go up to the policy level eventually. You don't know when, you don't know how. But so what is uh, the opportunity of a technical economist to economist uh, uh, speech uh, that uh, would, would help, as you said, uh, then good uh, policy making? Yes, you have three minutes. <laughs> Three minutes should be fine. Thank you very much. France and Italy are difficult issues. <laughs> One and a half minutes for each. Uh, it's, of course, a major source of satisfaction that France has dropped below the 3% uh, in headline deficit, but it should have done so uh, some time ago, given the progress in, in uh, GDP. France is, of course, a prime example of the countries that have chosen uh, the kind of indicator that suits uh, French performance best, namely the headline uh, deficit, the 3% rule, which was also the one that is most known to the public and therefore has some authority behind it, uh, because France should have gone below that uh, quite some time ago. Uh, but the tendency at least now is right. But I, I note that uh, I've heard French officials say quite openly, uh, we were lucky uh, that uh, we were able to write on this uh, criterion in, in particular that, that uh, we were under this uh, uh, excessive deficit procedure itself and we were able to forget it for a while about the more structural issues and, in the structural budget. That is, of course, something that these uh, uh, clarification of the rules uh, would uh, take a look at and, and uh, try to avoid uh, for the future. Um, to Francesco's um, question, uh, uh, we are indeed in touch uh, with uh, uh, notably the national fiscal councils that exist in, in uh, almost all, I think all of 18 of the 19 at least Euro uh, states. Uh, there is a national fiscal council in, in Italy and, and uh, they are certainly very aware of uh, some of the arguments that uh, you, you brought up. How much authority they have, I cannot judge, particularly not in the new uh, environment. Uh, uh, but uh, the uh, hope is, of course, that uh, uh, National Fiscal Council, that certainly applies also to the Au Conseil des Finances Publiques, I think as they call it in, in France, uh, which uh, also performs a creditable function of criticizing uh, government's estimates when they are too positive or uh, pointing out that uh, certain rules are not being met. So there's something to build on nationally, but, but how strong they are and how much it would help them if, if um, one tried to organize or orchestrate something through them, I, I doubt that because uh, their strength uh, nationally depends on, in a sense, they are independent not only of their national governments, but also of the European Commission and the structure that may be built around the European um, Commission, such as the, uh, even the European Fiscal Board, which is also supposed to be independent. It's a very tricky thing. But we, of course, also have the opportunity in the EFB to meet national officials and the official bodies. This afternoon, I 
make a presentation at the um, UAA Working Group, uh, which has our report on its uh, agenda. So, uh, I mean, there is the opportunity to exchange, but there, of course, exchange is multilateral and rather formal. So the opportunities are somewhat limited, but they will certainly be used as much as we can. Thank you. Much news for all your very interesting comments, and uh, I'm afraid that's all we have uh, time for today. Uh, thank you all for coming, and please join me in uh, thank you, Niels, for coming back. Thank you very much. We hope you come back. <laughs> 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 oh, are you sure? <laughs>